Will you bow with me and let's pray once again together. Father, having already sung the great truths of the gospel, we turn our attention now to your perfect word that we might hear and read and see and experience those truths through the reading and teaching and proclamation of your holy word. God, I I know that I'm not worthy. I know that I'm not able. Just as we sang, I, I can't preach. I can't even walk, Lord, unless you're holding my hand. My words are meaningless, Father, but you have the words of life. So, Father, would you speak in spite of your servant? Lord, would you move among us and teach us this morning from your word? God, would you grow us in the gospel? Would you help us, Father, to mature in our faith as we hear from you, Holy Spirit, through your word? Lord, your word is capable of encouraging and challenging and motivating, of convicting and comforting, Lord, all at the same time. So we ask, Lord, that you would do that this morning as we devote all of our attention, as we devote all of our time for the next few moments to your word and your word alone. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to take and turn with me once again to the letter to the Galatians in the New Testament. The letter to the Galatians in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew. If you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take that Bible home with you as our gift to you. Uh, If you feel more comfortable accessing on your phone or tablet or mobile device, or if you just would prefer to follow along on the screen... All of those are acceptable methods. If you would, though, if you're physically able, would you please stand once again, only this time out of reverence, for the public reading of God's holy word. We will be looking at Galatians chapter 2. We'll read chapter 2, all 21 verses of this chapter. After I complete the reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond with a hearty thanks be to God. Let's look together now at Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars 
perceived the grace that was given to me. They gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was already eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before all of them, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For, though the, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ would have died for no purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Before we get started, I, I need to put on my preaching jacket. It's a special coat that was given to me by a church member, Tony Bartholomew. Tony Bartholomew got this coat at a discount rate. He told me that I looked wonderful in it. And so, I believe I should preach in it this morning at his suggestion. Now, Galatians, I feel better. If you'll remember last week where we left off, Paul is defending himself and defending the validity of the gospel that he preaches. The people in Galatia, the false prophets, those who came in and said, you can trust in Jesus, but you have to become a Jew first. You have to follow all the Jewish laws and all the Jewish rituals and ceremonies and rites of cleanliness. You have to do all of those, then become a Christian. Paul is saying to those people who called him a plagiarist, I didn't copy the gospel from anybody. Nobody taught me the gospel but Jesus Christ himself. He says that the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and then he goes into the desert and spends time with the resurrected Jesus for roughly three years in the desert, being taught, being an apostle unnaturally born. And then he goes to Jerusalem, visits for about two weeks, but he only sees Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. 
So there was no time for him to plagiarize them. He didn't spend any time with them. Then we begin this verse, and he's been in Syria and Cilicia for about 14 years. So at this point, from the moment that Paul was saved up until the point that he's writing about, at the beginning of Galatians chapter 2, about 17 years have passed by. And people still don't really know who Paul is, but he decides, maybe I'm in the wrong. The Lord Jesus himself, in bodily form, walked with and talked with these apostles. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go with Barnabas, who has become Paul's very best friend, and I'm going to take Titus, and we're going to go visit the leaders of the church there in Jerusalem. And he says that while he's there, Titus, who was Greek, who was not of Jewish heritage, they did not require that he follow Jewish law. They did not require that he go through with a very private medical procedure. They said, no, that's not necessary. And it turns out that the gospel that Paul was preaching is the same gospel that the apostles were already teaching and preaching. And then what we see in the first part of these verses is that they said Paul's ministry and apostleship is equal to Peter's. Don't miss that Peter, the rock, the one who Jesus speaks to and says, upon this rock I will build my church. The one who the Catholic Church counts as the very first pope. They say in this passage, they say, of Paul that his apostleship is just as valid as all the other apostles, Peter included. Peter called to the Jew primarily, Paul called to the Gentile primarily. This is a racial issue at its heart because it's not just about circumcision and uncircumcision. It's about those who profess to be Jews, who were born Jews, and those who are not. And what do we do with the gospel to those who are not. Paul's gospel is valid. He is a valid apostle. And then he continues to prove himself and his teaching over and above the false prophets by what we see in verses 11 and following. It says in verse 11, when Cephas came to Antioch, and remember Cephas is Aramaic for Peter, and Peter is just Greek for rock, Petros, rock. So Peter was the rock long before Dwayne Johnson ever thought about being the rock. Amen? Man, I thought y'all would enjoy that a lot more than the 8 o'clock service did. I just got blank stares at the 8 o'clock service. Nobody in here knows Dwayne Johnson? I mean, come on, guys. This is the real rock, okay? This is his nickname, the rock, genuinely. They don't call him Simon anymore. They call him Cephas or Peter. So Cephas goes up to Antioch, and he's visiting with all of the believers there in Antioch. Primarily, the believers in Antioch are any nationality, any ethnicity, other than Jewish. There's some Jewish believers there, but most of these are people who are uncircumcised. Most of these are people who would not fit the mold of a good Jew. Well, Peter is just sitting down and chit-chatting with everybody. He's eating at the same table with all of the Gentiles and the Jews alike. No problems. Peter does this because of what happened in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, Peter has what I have heard called his pigs in a blanket dream. A blanket in this dream is lowered from heaven, and every type of unclean animal is in this blanket. Pigs especially. You see, it's his pigs in a blanket dream. And the Lord says, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And so Peter says, like he did so many times to Jesus in their earthly ministry together. He went, no, Jesus, not me. I could never eat an unclean animal. An unclean animal has never passed by these lips. And Jesus says to Peter, don't call unclean 
what I have declared clean. And so this has two purposes in Acts chapter 10. There's two reasons that, this, that Peter has this dream. First, it's that, listen, all the rituals and all the ceremonies of the food that passes into your body, those are no longer of account because what passes into your body does not defile you, but what comes out of your mouth defiles you. Jesus says that during his earthly ministry, and he's reemphasizing that to Peter. And then Peter got to enjoy bacon. And folks, we all know, once you have bacon, you can never go back, right? Amen? I mean, I think a great evangelistic strategy towards Jewish people today should just be, listen, trust in Jesus. You could have some bacon. It might make them a little softer to the gospel. That's a joke. If you have Jewish friends, don't do that. That'd be very offensive, okay? It's just a joke, all right? Just be lighthearted with me this morning. I'm wearing a goofy green jacket, okay? Bear with me. So... Peter sees that dream and hears those words from Jesus, but it's not just about the food. Jesus is saying, don't declare people unclean that I have declared clean. So he leaves Simon the Tanner's house and goes to a centurion's house and is shown by the power of the Holy Spirit that the gospel is for the Gentiles. And it is okay for him to eat unclean foods because there are no more unclean foods. And it's okay for him to go to unclean people because there are no more unclean people. And so when Peter gets to Antioch, of course, He's eating it up. He's chumming it up. He's back to back with people at the table. And, you know, they're talking. Hey, what's going on, man? He's eating over here with these people. The Jews are together. The Gentiles are together. It's all one big mess of all of them, and it's great. Well, then James, the brother of Jesus, shows up. And James walks in, and Peter immediately pushes back from the table and goes, (coughs) Do I smell like bacon? Give me some mint. Give me some mint. James, how you doing, buddy? No, no, that's not bacon grease. No, I haven't been eating with the Gentiles. I wouldn't eat with Gentile sinners. I wouldn't do something like that. And so Peter immediately removes himself from all of the people who are non-Jewish believers. And folks, we're not talking about, oh, he wouldn't sit with me in the cafeteria at school. And my my feelings are so hurt because nobody would sit with me in the cafeteria. This is a serious offense. When they gathered together, remember Christians are persecuted and ostracized. These meals were what they clung to. It's how they built fellowship. And all of a sudden, Peter draws back from anybody who's not a Jew. And then everybody follows Peter. And you remember Barnabas. You may have been in Sunday school last week. His name was Joseph, but everybody gave him a nickname. They didn't call him the rock. They called him the son of encouragement, Barnabas, because everybody loved Barnabas. Nobody had a problem with Barnabas. Barnabas was like Jason Gunter. If you've got a problem with Jason Gunter, I'm going to assume the problem's with you because nobody doesn't like Jason Gunter. He's a Barnabas. That was Barnabas. It gets so bad that Even Barnabas leaves the non-Jewish believers and is only eating with the Jews. And they've all been ostracized. And Paul says, this is a gospel issue. The gospel is for everyone. There is no longer clean people and unclean people. It doesn't matter your race, your ethnicity, your mama, your daddy. It doesn't matter if you were born a Jew. It doesn't matter if you were born a Greek. If you're Scythian, barbarian, slave, or free, there is no partiality in Christ Jesus. And this is a gospel issue. And Peter, you cannot do this. So Paul stands up to Peter. In front of everybody at the table. Folks, this was like pay-per-view. This was like the who's who is Peter. 
Peter is the most known person in the church. The who's who of the church versus the Paul. Who's that? Nobody's even heard of Paul at this time. But it was so important that he stood up and he spoke to Peter. And remember what we talked about last week. Peter calls Paul's writings the very scripture of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is not something that ended the relationship for Peter and Paul for the rest of their ministry. Peter continues even to late in his life to acknowledge that Paul is an apostle. God is using him and acknowledges in this moment that he was right. You see, what happened to Peter is what happens to us a lot of times. You see, especially for those of us who have grown up in church, especially for those of us who have good church friends. You see, when we get saved, God covers us with the righteousness of Jesus. It's not about my righteousness. But the longer I spend time in church, the more I like to think it is about my righteousness. It's about how good I have been. Even though I remember the gospel, even though I know that the gospel is for everyone and that there's no sin too gross for God's grace, I like to forget that the gospel means it's not me and how I dress myself. You see, when we try to prove that we're righteous to God on our own by doing good things, we look like this. Ridiculous, right? This is probably the most tacky jacket you've seen all week, right? It's not a blazer, all right? I was going to try and preach with it buttoned, but as you can tell, this might be dangerous for anybody in the front pew, okay? Folks, this, this level of ridiculousness, I'm, if it, I'm walking around this morning, hey guys, I look sharp, don't I? Look, Tony told me I look good. I dressed myself this morning. I'm fancy, doing good right here. And Jesus is looking at me going, you foolish Galatians, Nathan, you fool. It's not about you. It's not about your work. You think you look good, but you look like an idiot. Because your righteousness, your works can never make you acceptable to me. It's not about what I do. It's about the clothes that God gives us. He takes our foolishness. He takes the bad attempts at righteousness and we nail it to the cross of Jesus Christ. And it is crucified with Jesus. And then the righteousness of Jesus, which does look good, which is stylish, is then covered over our ugly, sinful selves. Jesus covers us in His righteousness. And we look righteous, not because I might look good in these clothes, but because these clothes look good. Because they're Jesus' righteousness. His righteousness covers me. It's no longer I that live. I am crucified with Christ. My attempt at righteousness is here on the cross. It's no longer I that live, but it is Christ covering me in His righteousness, living this life in me and through me. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It is Christ who lives in me. And we are just as guilty as Peter. You see, we begin to walk in the gospel and we begin to think, boy, God sure is lucky that I chose him. God sure is lucky that I chose to be on his team when in reality we are blessed and fortunate that God chose to be merciful to us. And then we begin to look around and we think, well, somebody's a different skin tone than me. Thank God I'm not that person. That person is an alcoholic. Thank God I'm not that person. I am a good person. That person's obviously arrogant and prideful. They struggle with gossip and lies. It's a good thing that I am righteous and holy. 
Folks, but for the grace of God, whoever you're looking at saying, thank God I'm not them, but for God's grace, we would be them. I would be the random homeless person strung out on drugs that walks up to the church office with three trash bags strung over my head going, hey, you got any cash you could give me? You know I'm going to go get strung out one more time, but you got any cash you could give me? I have no right to look at somebody like that and go, well, they're not worthy of the gospel. They are sinners. They're the uncircumcised. They're not good, white, southern Christians. God, help us. This is what Peter, the rock of the church, did. Folks, it's a a reminder to me that I need all the time. The president of the Southern Baptist Convention, J.D. Greer, he has a quote where he says, the gospel is not the diving board of Christianity. You don't jump off the diving board of the gospel into the pool of Christianity. The gospel is the diving board and the pool. We constantly need reminders of the gospel. And if we want to live lives following Jesus, we go deeper into the gospel. We don't graduate to the next level. The gospel is not the ABCs and the one, two, threes, so that later on we can graduate and do something more complicated like geometry or algebra or talk about Calvinism and Arminianism. The gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel is where we find our worth, our meaning, our identity, who we are, how we live. Because it's not us living anymore. It's Jesus in us, living through us. So we have no right to be self-righteous and look down on somebody else. Somebody that walks in that you know has had an affair. You have to look at them and I have to look at them knowing the sins of their past and go, but for God's grace, that would be my sin too. And instead of separating ourselves from them, we move closer to them that's gospel community that's what peter forgot and he got caught up in who was there and who was seeing him and what if i'm seen with gentile sinners don't we remember how they just blasphemed jesus like crazy when he would sit down and eat with the tax collectors and the prostitutes they were the sinners they were the unclean and jesus went and sat with them on purpose And left the highfalutin, high priests and Sanhedrin and scribes and Pharisees, left them outside and ate with those who were the outsiders. Folks, in Christianity, there are no outsiders. And when we forget that it's all Jesus on us and in us, it's his righteousness, as we live, we we begin to go, you know, I'm I'm doing pretty good. I mean, like, I I know I needed Jesus' grace, and he got me back doing pretty good, but, I, I mean... I'm I'm not lying as much as I was. Y'all, a, a swear word ain't come out of my mouth in so long since that last sermon I accidentally messed up dominoes. I'm just telling you, I've been doing so good. This is Look at me. I am just living the life. I am a good Christian. And we forget. And we begin to think more of ourselves. We begin to think higher of ourselves. And we begin to look more and more foolish in the eyes of those around us. And not only does that happen... But then we don't have people like Paul who are willing to confront us with the truth in love. Gospel unity is not about southern politeness. Southern politeness is me walking around in this jacket all day and people complimenting me and saying, Pastor, looking good. Love it. Yeah, man. And then you go home and go, oh, my goodness. Can you believe what the pastor wore today? How disrespectful was that? I cannot believe that he would be up there on that stage in that kind of a jacket like that. That is disrespectful before the Lord Jesus Christ. And nobody says a word to the pastor. 
all week long. I might get one, two, three, handful, handful of folks that might be willing to go. Hey, Nathan, man, we love you, buddy. If you had broccoli in your teeth, I'd tell you you had broccoli in your teeth. All right. That jacket never needs to see the light of day again. I don't care what Tony Bartholomew told you, brother. It's hideous. Don't wear it. Not even as a Halloween costume. You don't fit in it. That's another way for me to tell you I love you. Just don't wear the jacket. Folks, Southern politeness is judgmental. Southern politeness is we just sweep things under the rug. We pretend like there aren't any differences. Gospel unity, like what takes place in the early church, is loving one another in spite of our differences. Is being united under the banner of the gospel, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're intelligent or stupid, whether we're fat or skinny, whether we're beautiful or ugly, whether we're white or black or Hispanic or Asian or any other race under any other circumstance in any country in all the world. It's unity in the gospel. And when there is a gospel issue dispute, we discuss it with one another and speak the truth in love. And we don't just pretend like it doesn't happen or it's not there. And then talk about one another behind their back. Did you know that so-and-so, I saw them at the ABC store the, the other day. I think they might be drinking alcohol. What are we going to do? Let's pray for them. Let's pray for them. Yeah, but let's talk about what kind of alcohol it was first. Folks, that's fake. That's southern politeness and it's not gospel unity. In the context of I have been crucified with Christ is this issue. Paul is in the midst of defending himself. Part of him defending himself is saying, I stood up to Peter and Peter backed down. Galatians, you can trust the gospel that I say because I stood up to Peter and he backed down. But in the context of this, he begins to repeat the gospel to Peter. And then from there moves into the most famous verse in all of Galatians possibly. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He's teaching that to Peter and the Galatians simultaneously. Folks, it's like a well. If you were to dig a well, you don't get more water by making the well wider. You don't get better, colder water by increasing the circumference of the well. You go down deeper. If you want to grow in Christ, we have to go deeper into the gospel, into what it means that we are a new creation, that we have a new identity, that we are no longer white Christians or black Christians or Asian Christians. We are no longer rich Christians or poor Christians. We are no longer any other describer in front of Christian. We are in Christ and he is in us. And when we act differently, we just look foolish. We have to remember this verse is about that Jesus isn't the only one that we believe in and just say a prayer. But then Jesus is the one who comes into our lives. We crucify ourselves. We put our righteousness on the cross. We take up Jesus's righteousness and then Jesus begins to live through us. It's not like what we said a few weeks ago. Jesus did not die on the cross and say, all right, guys, I got it started. Y'all finish it up. Jesus said, it is finished. The work is done. And what we think after we've been walking with Jesus for some time is we think, I'm going to take my life back into my hands. I'm going to take my life out of Christ's hands where I crucified my life with him. I'm going to take it back into my hands. Listen, me taking my life back into my hands would be like a basketball in my hands Versus a basketball in Michael Jordan's hands, Steph Curry's hands, LeBron James's hands. 
That's the difference. When Jesus has my life, I can be righteous because he is working through me. But if I try to take the ball back from Jesus, I can't even dribble between my legs, y'all. I was the kid that stood down at the bottom of the goal because they knew if they passed it to me, I could throw it and hit that corner and it would go in. And that's all I did. I didn't move. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. I was the kid that was kind of slow and just stood at the bottom and went, I'm open. I'm open. They gave me the ball. I fumbled for a minute. I shot it. Maybe got a goal. Maybe didn't. Then try to get a rebound. I'm no LeBron James. I'm no Michael Jordan. When I try and take my life into my hands, it's like instead of Jesus having control of my life, it's like me trying to play golf with a golf club as opposed to Tiger Woods playing golf. Listen, the last time I played golf, I shot a 94 on the back nine, not counting mulligans. I'm terrible at golf, okay? I'm just, there's nothing I can do. That's my life. There's no good things that I can do. It is Christ doing good in me and through me. So I have no right to be proud of who I am or how good I am when it's not me. It's Jesus. And what happens is as we forget the gospel or the gospel becomes old hat to us, we begin to think that we are better than That our culture is better than. Our pride begins to well up within us. Look at what I have done. Look at how good I am. But it's not us. It's Jesus in us. And when good things happen in our lives, all we can do is say praise be to God. Because aside from Christ, there's no one righteous. No, not one. There's no one who seeks for God. It is Jesus who saves us. It is then Jesus who begins to sanctify us and grow us up. It is Jesus who does good things in us and through us. And we get to be a part of his work. But the only boasting and pride that we can have is to say that we have Jesus. Folks, very famous old Christian author, John Owen, he said that the seed of every sin is in every heart. The seed of every sin is in every heart. And the different seeds that grow and are cultivated depend on the situations and circumstances of our lives. So that means that the sins that we struggle with, we struggle with because of the family we were born into, the place in the world that we were born into, our culture, our society, our societal norms, are genetic, those things cultivate the seeds of sin in our hearts so that we develop certain sins. But if we were born in a different place, if we had different parents, if we were in a different society, there would be other sins that we would struggle with. And our problem is when we begin to compare our sins to other people's sins and forget that we are just as likely or just as liable to have those sins if not for the grace of the Lord Jesus. Jesus saves us. And we have have no right, no place, no privilege other than Jesus. My voice sounded really weird to anybody else. It's kind of freaking me out. How about now? So folks, who can I look at can I look at the alcoholic and I can, I can look at them and go, shame on you. I, I can't associate with people who drink alcohol. 
Can I look at the sexually immoral and say, shame on you, I can't associate with the sexually immoral? Can I look at the gossiper? Can I look at people and hold myself up as better than or higher than them because I don't struggle with the same sin that they do? Can I look at somebody who is fighting against a homosexual tendency in their life and say, for shame, do you know what happens to homosexuals when they die? Can I look at somebody who wasn't raised in the same household and the same culture as me and go, why don't you act right? Why don't you get your life together? Why don't we give them Jesus? In Christ, we are new creations. In Christ, we have died. And Christ is now living in us and through us. So I have no right to pride. I have no right to judgment. I only have the right to show people Look how pathetic my righteousness was before I trusted in Jesus. Look how lost and hopeless I was before I trusted in Jesus. Would you trust in Jesus today and give up your righteousness and crucify your own righteousness and put it on the cross and trust in Him and Him alone for salvation? Or Church, maybe this morning you've been walking with Jesus for a long time and you fight the tendency of self-righteousness, of forgetting that all that we have and all that we are is because of Christ and is in Christ. And so we begin to be judgmental and look down upon people. Folks, maybe you're afraid to even invite people to this church because you know that they will be looked down upon by the self-righteous in our church family. God, help us if we can't even invite people to this faith community because we're afraid of how somebody who has a different skin color might be treated while they're here. Somebody who had a baby out of wedlock might be treated while they're here. Somebody that doesn't dress the nicest, how they might be treated while they're here. Somebody that reeks of alcohol, how they might be treated while they're here. Somebody who's a bum and they ought to get a job. And why are you just holding up a sign? And we don't reach out to them or tell them about the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus and show them that love and grace and mercy in our gospel community because we're scared of what our church will do if they show up. Folks, God, help us. It's not about our righteousness. It's not about how good we are. It's about how much Jesus saved us from who we were. I'm not who I ought to be, but praise God, I am not who I used to be. And that's the same story for anybody who trusts in Jesus. And we forget that the world is going to be dirty and unclean. But Jesus died for whosoever will. And there's no amount of work that we could do or somebody else could do to clean themselves up enough for Jesus. There is no more clean. There is no more unclean. And folks, can we love one another enough to be willing to speak the truth in love even when it's hard? Even when it's an awkward conversation? Can we put aside our southern politeness and deal with serious gospel issues with one another. I'm not talking about breaking out in fights. I'm not talking about standing up and pointing across the room. Wesley has been struggling with drinking, and I want to call him out right now. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. All right? I don't want that to like erupt right now. 
To my knowledge, I don't know that Wesley is struggling with that. That's just an example. Nobody go up to him and give him an Alcoholics Anonymous card after the service. That's not what we're going for. But when you go to your brother, you go to your sister and go, hey, I love you. And, and I see some things happening in your life that are gospel issues. Are you still growing up in and walking in the gospel? How can I come alongside you to help you in this season of life? How can I be praying for you? How can we help hold each other accountable? And folks, that, that kind of conversation can't really happen if you only see people in this room on Sundays. I don't care where you are. I don't care who you are. You need a gospel community where people can speak truth into your life. I need a gospel community because I'm still a wretched sinner. And I need for people who love me to come alongside me and say, Pastor, I, I think this is a gospel issue and we might need to work on it. I'm always open to that conversation. But that only happens when the gospel reigns. And it's not just the entry point. It's not just the diving board. It's the whole pool. So, folks, let's grow deeper in the gospel together. Let's mature in faith together. Let's put aside our self-righteousness and our judgment and grow up in the gospel together as one family of faith. This morning, as I've said all this stuff, you, you might still be walking around in this green jacket right here. You might still be thinking that you're good enough and that you look good to God because of how good you've been, because of how hard you've worked. And I want to tell you this morning, there's nothing you can do to earn God's favor. The only way to be saved and to have God's favor is to, by faith, trust in Jesus Christ, to crucify ourselves with Christ so that we are no longer ourselves, we are Christ living in and through us. If you've never trusted in Jesus, I can promise you the gospel is worth it. It's worth our lives. And if this morning you're sitting here and you're thinking, I, I'm doing good enough on my own, I beg you, trust in Jesus. Be crucified with Christ and let Him reign in your life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and for your mercy, for your goodness, for your kindness. Lord, there's nothing we could have ever done to earn your grace, to earn your favor. But because you are so good, you loved us enough to send your own son. You counted us as worthy to die for. So that you might be glorified and so that we might show your goodness in our lives. Lord, help us to grow up in the gospel. Help us not to have superficial southern politeness, but true gospel unity. Help us to crucify our self-righteousness and our judgmental attitudes. Help us to remember that but for your grace, we could be anywhere else in the world. We could be anyone else in the world. But by your mercy, you have placed us where we are. By your mercy, you are alive in us. You're working through us. Help us to take pride in your finished work of the cross and not our work day in and day out. We love you, Lord. We ask that you would move among us during this time of invitation. 
that we would respond to you in obedience. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ.